Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please welcome Columbia recording artist, Bob Dylan. to Never Ending Stories podcast about a podcast about Bob Dylan and the Never Ending Tour. I'm Ian. I'm Evan. And I'm Steve. And today, Tony is picking once again. It's Tony's Choice number three, July the 2nd, 1988. First Woo! year. First year of the Never Ending Tour at the Great Woods Performing Arts Center in Mansfield, Mass., uh, this is courtesy of listener Jason. Jason, thank you so much for the great choice. Uh, we're going to hear an introduction from him in just a little bit. But uh, before we do, I mean, it's just, it's great to be hitting here at the end of the year, the very first year of Never Ending Tour, pre Tony, it's Tony's choice, pre Tony Garnier. Wow. Yeah, this is, it's like the 17th show <laughs> of the Never Ending Tour. This is so early on in our run here. And this tape, and I'm going to call it a tape. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> you really get the tape experience with this tape. recording. It is a cinema verite type recording. If you're looking for sterling soundboard type quality, you're looking in the wrong place. This is yeah. gritty. You have malfunctioning tape at times. I remember yeah. listening to this for the first time, and I was texting you guys. I was like, we cannot use <laughs> the show it's unlistenable at times, but then I quickly grasped what we're dealing with here. This is, again, uh, really experiencing a live Dylan show the way people did back in the day. Like, you get a tape, it'd be beat up, it'd be warped. It's not this pristine digital type quality that we're used to. And if you give yourself over to that, it becomes an experience unto itself. You will be uh, rewarded immensely if you can uh, <laughs> just get past how shitty it sounds for the most part. At times. At, at times. Other, at other times, it sounds perfectly fine. There's one, the- there's one time where it sounds fucking great on one song, and then it just goes right back to the shit. Yeah, yeah I mean, a, it's an archaeological uh, experience of, like, something, something amazing is happening in Mansfield, and I've only heard the faintest ghost of it on on this tape uh but uh no of course there's there's things there's sonic signatures that we'll encounter here that are um exactly the same as good music yeah or even uh just our good music uh, yeah it's simple Uh, lots of hiss lots of hiss it's very guided by voices sounding this is like early 90s guided by voices bob's in the garage here yeah and uh yeah, you know, I noticed that we had some cancellations this week on the Patreon. I wonder if people listen to this tape and they're like, I can't hang with never-ending stories anymore. But, you know, we're going deep. We're going into the bowels 
Hopefully those people just, they were inspired to go off the grid entirely by listening to this tape. They're like, all right, I'm going back to full analog, which means I can't listen to podcasts anymore. That's what I'm choosing to believe. I mean, I think it's uh, it's fair to say that this is not a tape that uh, any of the three of us would have elected to present just on its own merits. But uh, that's that's what we love about the Tony's Choice uh, options, because, you know, listeners out there, they got great picks. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll hear from Jason shortly about why this was his selection. But before we do, uh, you got any do we have, do we have any last words on uh, the, the Bob Dylan in New York experience from you, Evan? Well, uh, it was really uh, a great time. I saw three Dylan shows in succession. I saw two at the King's Theater, one at the Beacon, and uh, Adam Green and I went to the second of those three uh, together, which was very fun. And we talked about it uh, at this diner, which you can listen to a similar sort of audio experience, actually. Another Sinaverite oh, yeah. documentary. Great, great <laughs> recap episode. It felt like hanging out with some pals after a show. Very philosophical. Lots of ambient noise. Lots of ambient <laughs> Lots of... Uh, we were, like, taking bites of uh, buffalo chicken sandwiches in between uh, our respective takes and recollections. Um, I thought the third of the three shows was, uh, though, the by far the best. The went, infamous Yon Winner comment. Yeah. And, well, and the, the famous uh, New York State of Mind show. Yes. Oh man! So it started with New York State of Mind. It ended with Jan Wenner Innocent, and uh, in between, uh, uh, Scott, friend of the show, uh, Scott and I, we we had a beautiful meal, by the way, at the beginning before the show at uh, Cafe Luxembourg, and then we wandered over to the Beacon, and the show uh, was it it made the like thirty eight dollar drinks we had feel like a great deal. It was. Really energetic. Um, I can't really describe it except that it felt like Bob was very determined not to let a single moment of downtime occur between songs. There was just like a really propulsive energy of just like song into song into song. And it was one of the better shows just from an energy level that I've seen Bob Dylan play. It was really great. But the other two were like no slouch, you know, like the other two were really good. I is it too late for me to go on a young winner rant and not I about would love nothing more. We could do a whole episode on that, <laughs> frankly. But. And and not about Bob making a joke. And it was a joke from anyone who was in the room, people tweeting about this is clearly was done with a wink where he's talking about Jan Winter being booted from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and we have to do something about this. And look, I'm going to tread lightly here because I have colleagues in the music critic, music journalist community here, and I understand people have to do their job. You have to write stories to get people to click on your website. And I can understand that Bob Dylan talking about Jan Winter, there's some very sort of superficial news value there. Um, but just the way that was reported in a very sort of straightforward way, as if Bob Dylan doesn't say ridiculous things on stage all the time. <laughs> like, where were the stories from these websites when Bob Dylan was in New York last year talking about how Sly Stallone should have won an Oscar for, what was it, like Rocky? 
or Rambo? Uh, Rambo Last Blood. The Last uh, Blood. the most recent and by all accounts horrible and horribly racist Rambo film. <laughs> it's like where were the headlines saying Bob Dylan endorses horribly racist and violent Sly Stallone movie for Oscar campaign? Like where were where were those stories? If we're gonna take everything Bob Dylan says literally on stage, or like when Bob Dylan was in Japan and he was talking about how I forget who, but how a member of his band used to be on Columbo. And yes. can we can we report oh Bob Dylan misidentifies his band member as an ex Columbo <laughs> cast member? This is a sign that he's senile. Like what what are we doing here? I just think that people don't understand what Bob Dylan is doing when he's being a uh, himself. But they're deliberately doing it. Everyone knows he's not serious. This is just like, we're, we're pretending that he's not serious. I don't know about that. I don't think a lot of people really know his sense of humor. The, t- the type of people who are like paid, you know, paltry sum to write about him. Uh, he, which has always been the case. Yeah, it just shows that like nothing has changed since like those press conferences in 1965. Like there's always going to be credulous weirdos. The most uh, generous take is that you know it's someone just in the content mines looking for anything to drum up to to make a shekel. Uh, well, that's by, what it is. A, a shekel? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> a shekel? Why is it a shekel? I am in the content mines. I understand. Like I, you know, look, we're I, I'm in the game too. I understand how it's played. But look. I just feel like you can look at it as, oh, he is defending Jan Winner, or you could look at it, and this is the way I look at it, as, oh, Jan Winner went to go see Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan from the stage mentions that he got dropped from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which He's to dunking me... dunking on him. Is, yeah, it's a dunk! It's like, <laughs> do you think Jan Winner like, really wanted to hear that at the show? Like To me, that is like shit-talking of the first degree. And it's and it's yeah, hilarious. Like, we don't think that's right. We're and we're trying to get him back in. And you know that Bob Dylan is not <laughs> trying to get him back in. I know exactly. Do you think he's like on you know like on petition dot org, like gathering signatures, to get- writing strongly worded letters from the bus every day to yeah. mail to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame board in fucking Cleveland? <laughs> they need to respect the people who have made rock. Like uh, that would never happen. I do love though that Bob is clearly like aware of the zeitgeist and plugged in to the ridiculous you know uh, uh, discourse that we're all fucking plugged into online and and i'm sure he knew exactly what he was doing dropping that i'm sure he knew that these stories were going to be following hot off the presses as soon as he made that comment yeah i don't know not that he gives a shit it's so stupid but whatever end of rant i just had to i've been i've been spoiling to rant about this on the show for weeks so I'm glad I got it out of my system. We did like a tweet that was kind of just like a, a, a I, I did my little passive aggressive tweet about it. And then I was, I noticed that like people, um, some were annoyed about it and they were, or they were actually like, huh, not a good look. Yikes. And then other people very quickly with a nudge were just reminded like, oh yeah, it's Bob Dylan. He don't trust anything he says. Anyone who knows anything at all about Bob Dylan knew exactly what was going on there. And so all of the clickbait stories are uh, just indications that their authors can go straight to pay no mind list. Should we should we unlock our mailbox? Let's unlock the mailbox. 
let's do it. This is a good one. I like this one. This is from listener Chris. It's been sitting here for a little while. Uh, I mean, we've been waiting, working our way up to it. Question is, do any of us have the Jokerman mindset for any of the Beatles solo careers? If not, what do you think of them? Thank you for the great non-fuck-marry-kill question, Chris. Thank you for giving us anything to do but fuck-marry-and-kill. Yeah, I'm a... Question segment. I'm a little tired of fucking Bob Dylan albums or or, or killing (laughs) them. I I want to take a little break from that. I'm a little worn out. Well, now you can fuck or kill uh, Ringo albums. So here, when when we talk about the Jokerman mindset, is it the idea of like a... A reverent or contrarian take on the on the no, Beatles catalog, no. or like, I don't think Jokerman is I think the the idea is more. I mean, and, and it may well be an irreverent or contrarian take, right? But uh, the 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 general uh, mo is is believing that the work that the artist is doing later into their careers, right up until the very moment you're speaking about them, in some cases as with Bob himself, uh, is just as essential and important and valuable as anything else that they ever, uh, they ever did. So it's a matter of taking, um, taking cloud nine as seriously as all things must pass, for instance, um, uh, to use an example in, in the Beatles catalog. I feel like with the Beatles, the Jokerman mindset really only applies to McCartney and Ringo Starr. Right. Um, unless you're going to say brainwashed which is like the posthumous George Harrison record is as good as, you know, something or here comes the sun. Like maybe that would apply, but with McCartney and Ringo, actually, I don't know of the most recent Ringo star. It's probably solo career. Like peace and love or something. Maybe. Like I that. mean, I have to admit that like I, I go deep on the other dude's solo careers. I don't go deep with Ringo, unfortunately. Uh. Uh, like, that might be the ultimate test of the Jokerman mindset. <laughs> well, yeah. You're describing Ringo just material. like the ultimate, te- like all the all of the Beatles uh, post uh, Beatles stuff is Jokerman like fodder. Like we could talk about it. No, I just mean that like McCartney is the only one who's had the kind of career that Dylan has had, where he's making records into his seventies. You know, like where you could talk about a record like Egypt Station or something right. in comparison yeah. to what he did in the 70s, whereas, you know, unfortunately, Lennon and Harrison just didn't live long enough. Certainly, like, Lennon didn't, you know, he died when he was 40, so he, he doesn't He only has have, 10 years, yeah. So he, it's not the same breadth of career that Dylan has. McCartney's really yeah. the only one that has that. What I think is fascinating about the solo Beatles is that, like, when I was growing up and learning about music, you know, starting to read music books like in the late 80s, like when I was 12 or 13, it was all about John Lennon. Like John Lennon was hands down considered the greatest Beatle and the people, genius of the Beatles. He was the genius of the Beatles and like his solo career was held in like the highest esteem, whereas McCartney, with the exception of like Band on the Run, he was looked at as just like a hack. Like his solo records were terrible. And then in the last 20 years that totally got flipped where people started talking about Ram being great. And then people talked about the first McCartney bowl of cherries record being great. And then even going beyond that and people being like, like fucking wildlife is great. And you know what I mean? Like getting really deep into the, into the weeds where it is almost like a, a, what we have with a lot of Bob Dylan records now, like 
we just talked about Budokan recently and how in Dylan circles, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, Budokan's fucking great. And that's like a recent development. People thought that album was shit for the longest time, but it's flipped so much where it's almost like a contrarian take now in Dylan circles to go back to the original opinion of Budokan, which is like what the Pitchfork review did. Like Pitchfork recently did a review of the complete Budokan 78 where they gave it a very mediocre score. But that's more in line like with what the conventional wisdom used to be. So it's that's kinda, the tr- yeah, that was the chalk take ten years ago. I want to believe that that they gave it a mediocre score because like th- we've booted it up to a thing that they would even consider to like take seriously. Uh, that's my my secret <laughs> hope that they were like, like okay, we- we're gonna we need to reassess this, and then they're like. Well, it's not that good. Like you, in 2023, it's a it's a demerit. It's a mark of shame to get a positive review from Pitchfork.com. So uh, Bob Dylan should be proud of that score. That's right. I mean, like for me, I don't know how you guys fall on Beatles solo records. My favorite Beatles solo record is All Things Must Pass, George Harrison. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the next three or four would be probably McCartney records from the 70s. And then I'd have Imagine and Plastic Ono Band somewhere in the mix there. Like Plastic Auto Man actually would be maybe be my number two. Like I love that record. Um and then Ram would be in competition with that. Somewhere. What's yours, Ian? What, what where do you stand on this? Mine is is with a bullet and and but you know, I'll, I'll qualify it by saying it's it's more of like a sentimental pick than anything, is double fantasy. Um, which uh you know came out in nineteen eighty. That was the year my my parents got married. And um, they listened to that record when they were dec- when they were putting up their Christmas tree, you know, when they were 20 years old in 1980. And so it became this this thing where every Christmas, as we were decorating and putting up, as they were decorating and putting up the tree, Double Fantasy was the 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 soundtrack for that, and that extended into my whole youth and young manhood. Um, and so I just had this extraordinary, you know, Proustian uh, connection to that album. Hold on uh, a sec. Did, did you just make a Kings of Leon reference in the middle yes. there? Okay. Just <laughs> that just sure. popped into my head all okay. of a sudden. <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure that you knew that I caught the Kings of Leon reference in the middle of your reverie about Double Fantasy. <laughs> Love that you slipped. That Thank in you there. for picking up on that, Stephen. That was for all the 2005 heads out there. I saw Kings of Leon open for the Strokes actually on I think the on the uh, the um, it was either the Room on Fire tour. It must have been the Room on Fire tour because they would have been too big uh, by the time um, First Impressions of Earth came. Whatever. Anyways, you know that's where my Kings of Leon history comes from. Didn't know this about you. Yeah, I've been I've been through it. Sidebar over. Anyways, it's Double Fantasy, which I think is a brilliant record from top to bottom. Um, and honestly, kind of proto, sort of proto Wilburian in many ways. You know, uh, <laughs> Wilburian. <laughs> yes. Proto Wilburian. L- Lennon is doing the Wilburys thing on his own with Yoko 10 years in advance. He's doing the Wilbury twist. You yeah, mean? it's basically the Wilbury twist. He's, he's fascinated with the sounds of, you know, 1950s Roy Orbison kind of shit yeah. and making this uh, wacky, off the wall, extremely varied, genre diverse record. Um, so that's, yeah. uh, that's number, number one for And me. the walls came down yes. all the way to hell. <laughs> Without having had a really strong relationship with full John records, cause I never really did. I never really like, listened to Imagine front to back or Plastic Ono Band, but there's definitely post Beatles John songs that I 
uh, I think are my favorite of any of their work because I think that more than any of the other Beatles, John's solo work post Beatles was still trying to like really make sense of what that meant to be. It was still in like a a real reaction to having just been in the Beatles. And George is like kind of about transcending that uh, in a spiritual direction. And Paul is kind of about like making it um, kind of reacting to it in a way of like, I'm just going to get into like these little things that I can make that don't have to mean the world to people. Um, And I, I guess that John just seems to have like retained a sense of ambition do you well, find that again because because John was only around for ten years? Like the like who fucking knows? I mean, even what, what both what all of them skeletons did. would lay in his closet in 1988. You know, but I know, you know, but I know what Evan what means because mean, yeah, because like John Lennon's writing a song called God, and he's talking <laughs> about how like I don't believe I don't believe in Beatles. I don't believe in Zimmerman. I don't believe in Beatles. He says he says I don't believe in Zimmerman. He's talking about Bob. I don't believe in Jesus. I mean, it is, you know, to your point, Evan, it is like a much more conscious, like, statement with a capital S type record than McCartney on the Bowl of Cherries record where he's, you know, doing, you know, uh, like, Lovely Linda and things like that. Where Temporary Secretary, great song. <laughs> McCartney, too, is a great record, yeah. That's McCartney, I mean, too. That's, like, years later, but, yeah, that's a brilliant record. Yeah, yeah, I, it just came to mind. I think John took seriously how big a psychic mark the Beatles made, which is like, you could think of it as being kind of like, oh, here he goes again, like bringing up the Beatles in his own song. But he wrestled with the reality that like this was a crazy thing to have been involved in and to have happened. And I think that his songs like that song is kind of like an exorcism where he's like trying to undo some of that weird ego uh just like having being in that strange position of being like the most famous thing ever um i just can't help but love the drama of that uh which which as good as the other beatles stuff uh post beatles is or can be it it doesn't delve straight into that crazy drama like he does Who's everyone's favorite Beatle? Hmm. I guess it's hard. Pa- like Paul. Paul. Interesting. I wouldn't have expected Paul from you. I mean, I think Paul is the most talented. John is the most interesting. Ringo's the best hang. George might be the best hang though, because he had the trunk full of ukuleles. Yeah. Have you heard that story? <laughs> he just drove around with a trunk full of ukuleles. George is mine. George is my man. The reason I say Paul, though, just to clarify, is I think that something happens with Paul where he wants to impress John to kind of like get art, arty, somebody who has that level of just raw pop skill trying to make something that's more than just a pop song. When he like actually hits the mark on that, it's like kind of unreal, which happens sometimes. So in a way... It's John, in a way, it's got to be Paul. Look, we all know the best Beatles, Eric Clapton, because he played on 
while my guitar gently weeps. Ugh. So, Boo. let's just say Eric Clapton. <laughs> Eric Clapton, number one. Billy Preston, number two. And mm-hmm. Pete Best, number three. Those are the top three Beatles. George Martin, four. Uh, and Matt, no, Mal Evans. Maybe Mal Evans. Mal Evans. Oh, come on, man. Mal Evans, did you see Get Back? He's like the roadie guy with the oh, glasses. Yeah, yeah. He's the Who one. Died? He died. Yeah, he had like a very weird death. Oh, yeah. yeah, this guy. He was cool. It was like a suicide by cop situation with Mal Evans. Yeah. That, that's a whole episode onto itself. Maybe we should do like a true crime episode of Never Ending <laughs> Stories. That'll help grow the, our the ma- numbers that, here. Delve into true crime. We'll talk about Mal Evans. Uh, never Ending Crimes. Um, okay, well, there's a lot more to talk about the Beatles, but uh, I, uh, you know, there's <laughs> there's other people to talk about the Beatles out there for you. Thank you for the great question, Chris. I don't know that we answered it necessarily, but uh, I think we did try to touch on some of it. Let's uh, let's let the Beatles lay uh, and and head to. How did you not head, say let them be? Let them be. Yeah, damn it. Uh, if suffer from sore eyes, groovy foreheads, or curly hair. Take Zoomton. Come, come, boy. It's only a film. Come, come. Uh, okay. 